Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hello and welcome back to the Soul Grid Podcast. This is Anne and I'm joined today by Jennifer Brianne, who is a fellow podcaster that was gracious enough to invite me to be on her podcast recently to talk about mental and spiritual health. And so I wanted to return the favor and have her come and talk about one of her specialties. And it's going to fit uh, really nicely with what we heard last week from Gary, who talked about some of the mental health um, challenges of prisoners and how he has been um, called to serve them as a mental health provider in the jails. So Jennifer is going to come from a slightly different angle. First of all, hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So would you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So as she said, my name is Jennifer Brienne. I am originally from Arkansas, even though military life balanced me all across the world. Um, I am a wife. I'm a mother. I'm an author. And as she said, I am a podcast host of I'm a host of Wise Women Podcast, where we bring wisdom from all walks of life. Uh, so what I do specifically as it relates to prisoners is I have a prison ministry called Pins to Prison. We pin, uh, we have a mission of serving life, hope, salvation, and prayers to prisoners. And so what we do is we have a ministry, a community of writers that are uh, assigned to different prisoners and different levels of correspondence based on their preferences. So it doesn't overwhelm them. And then we serve the prisoners through uh, letters, cards. We try to make sure that they have uh, cards and encouragement for every holiday, birthday are a little harder, uh, but we do try for those as well. And then we also send books. We send books to prisons because we believe in uh, literacy and knowing the statistics around most prisoners not coming to prison with a level of education or literacy. So that is what we do and that is who we serve. And also that is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about why you got interested in serving in prisons? Absolutely. Um, back in 2013, was it 2013? I was home for the summer. I was in college. I was a first year traditional college student, just home, broken, hungry. Mm -hmm. And my family got word from my aunt and the word we received was her mugshot. Uh, she ended up serving time in a federal in a federal prison in the state of Florida. As I mentioned, we're from Arkansas, and um, it was a maximum security prison. And that was the first time I'd seen my aunt in over 13 years. And I, my heart went out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to respond because, again, she had been away from the family for years. Nobody had heard anything, and this is the first time that she's resurfacing to us. And so even though we had information, you know, where she was and what was going on, we still didn't know what to do. So I went back to college and I said, man, I, I never could forget that mugshot. I never could forget all of the memories that I have of my aunt and then for her to be in this life predicament. And so it made uh, prison life and prison reality very real to me. So much so that I said, you know what? 
I'm going to write her a letter because I felt like this is my limited knowledge at the time. I didn't know that if I called her, I thought, well, isn't there a limit on how long you can talk on the phone? And I didn't want to spend the time trying to get her to remember me. So I said, if I write everything in a letter, I can say everything that I want to say. And that is what opened the door to me having birth an entire ministry that mm -hmm. orchestrates the writing to prisoners. She is out now. Let me, let me give you the victory in the story. Yeah, she is thank out you. Now. <laughs> yeah I got to, I never try to leave that hanging. Uh, she's doing amazing. Uh, she's actually a business owner. She has a cleaning service that helps other former inmates mm -hmm. uh, not uh, in, not have to go through reentry because one of the probation requirements is that once you are released, you have to find a job. Well, right. we all know the jobs, the job stigmatization around prisoners and, you know, people not being really sure if they trust them mm -hmm. or wanting to allow them in. Of course, you know, you can't prove job history because you've been in jail. So it's really hard for former convicts to find employment. So one thing that she does is to help people who've been in that position not uh, get probation violations or even worse, have to re-enter prison if she gives them employment because she knows their past. And so that's one way that she gives back to the community and helps change things. So she's doing amazing. Um, and I'm really proud of her and all that she's overcome. Yeah. So I was curious when you write letters and you have a team of volunteers that writes letters, do you form like long-term relationships with specific prisoners or do you, um, just, you know, write the letters and whoever gets them, gets them? So the way it works is it depends on the individual volunteer. So we have, I mean, you guys know there's not a shortage of prisoners to write, right? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times what happens, we have more prisoners than we have writers. Mm -hmm. So writers are able to choose their level of correspondence, whether they want to write, you know, one to two prisoners, if they want to write two to three or three or more. So that's considered a low, medium or high level of correspondence. So what ends up happening essentially is um, that person typically does bond and form a long-term long relationship with their person, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So some Sometimes they say, you know, I'm really enjoying this. I want to write more. Or they say, because I'm really enjoying this, I want to stay serving in this vein. Okay. And so um, it's definitely one of the ministries that's for the committed. As I mentioned, you know, I've been doing this since 2013. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because the mailing system. So mm -hmm. if you don't know about um, getting information into prisons, it's not easy, but it's not supposed to be easy, right? right. <laughs> safe. Um, so with... Um, U.S. Postal Mail, and then also some of the electronic systems, things are a little faster, but they still have to go through um, checks and balances systems to make sure that, you know, you're not sending in anything inappropriate. And different prisons have different stipulations. As I mentioned earlier, the maximum security prison um, has different restrictions on what can and can't be accepted. For instance, I had to learn this the hard way. We had, um, I think, 250 Christmas cards, and they were the cutest I mean, they had the little snowman with a little bit of glitter. I didn't know that glitter was prohibited. Oh, gosh. And so we paid all the money for all the postage. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that you live and you learn. Because, again, we live in a in, a, in our world, you know, that is, that's a blessing. That's, mm -hmm. that's fun. That's acceptable. But you're not. And pretty harmless, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you're like, man, um, why are all these letters coming back? Um, but, yes. So as I was saying, the um, it typically works out that the writer chooses their level of correspondence. And from there, the relationships tend to build. You we tend to know more about the person and the person does unveil more about themselves. And let me give this disclaimer as well. So 
because I have done this myself, I created a ministry that protects everyone else. So we use the pseudo names. We never use our real names. And then we kind of go through like a mini training around not um, not giving identifiable characteristics about our personhood or our livelihood. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? We don't tell them exactly where we live. You don't give out your children's names. Don't mm-hmm. tell people where you work. And you would be surprised at even omitting some of those identifiable factors still allows you to show the love of Christ and to send um, encouragement and hope and love because we intentionally try to keep the focus of the message on the prisoner, you know, giving that encouragement. It's not so much as a, um, I guess, a mutual thing. Of course, they're curious because it's like, who are you and why are you writing me? So you have to build that trust, but in the, the, well, we want to do that in a safe way. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if they have training or like what, what, what kind of caveats do you give to your volunteers? <laughs> Absolutely, we do. Um, and as a matter of fact, it's happened to where prisoners get transferred. You know, sometimes you, you're riding into a particular prison and a, a prisoner has to go to a different facility. And so we have to make sure that we're trying to keep up with addresses and keep mm-hmm. information up to date. But it's also happened to where writers have moved and they don't want to move from the PO box or move through our system of digitizing letters so that we don't have an address attached. So I've had instances in the past where mothers who allow their children to submit prison art want to use a personal address. Or I've had um, one lady, she wrote this particular prisoner for two years and she was ready to buy a house. She, she moved and she said, listen, I'm ready to come from behind the wall. I want them to know my actual name. I want them to know my address so that we can correspond directly. And I tell them, hey, wonderful but that is totally your liability. <laughs> that is completely on you. Um, but um, I'm just, we're blessed that in the years and years of doing this, we've never had any uh, instance of harm or um, breach of, you know, identity outside of people choosing to share their information. So that's just truly been a blessing. And that's how you know that, you know, you're doing things God's way for sure. Mm. And how many prisons are you currently in? So we're in five states, and I think that diversifies into seven or eight prisons. Mm-hmm. We actually, um, it's interesting. I know you guys are listening on a podcast and you can't see this, but I'm mm-hmm. showing in right now a stack of letters that have been returned because um, with there was this thing called a prison lottery where you are experiencing overcrowding and they have to move prisoners. So some of the Bible studies that we send monthly have been returned and she can show you how thick the stack is of letters. (laughs) Yeah. That I have to go through to now find the new addresses of people that we write. So as I was saying, you know, sometimes things happen and you don't know until that letter gets returned or you don't hear from a prisoner in a while. And it's like, what, what's going on? So, um, what I'm saying that to say that even though we were in eight prisons, we might be in nine to 10, because even though they have moved, they haven't forgotten about us. So they're still reaching out, you know, Hey, where you at? Or I missed my Bible study this month. So Mm -hmm. looks like we're expanding. (laughs) And then are your volunteers from all over or mostly those same States? Yes. Worldwide. So uh, that's been one of the fun things is organizing, uh, bringing together people in a digital space. Uh, I initially started in the city that I birthed the the ministry in just with people who were from my church and that wanted to participate in the Blitz. And then I started hosting events where people would get together for two to three hours and write as many letters as they can. 
and those were very successful, but those were also pre-COVID. So we mm-hmm. haven't picked those back up since pre-COVID. Um, however, uh, getting able and being able to write to that capacity and meet people from different walks of life who want to do this, who used to do it, but put it down. Uh, that's That's been amazing. So again, uh, we are able to make everything digital so you don't have to be in the same town unless you want to participate in one of the blitz that we do. So we're just kind of waiting for the nation to heal a little bit before yep. we go back to doing those. So <laughs> I understand that. I just wanted to clarify that because I, you know, I'm based in Southern California. And so I probably have a higher concentration of listeners over here, but I want my listeners, if they're feeling like that little prompting in the spirit to say, this is a way I could volunteer. I have time for that. I have the heart for that, that they w- would know that this is something they can be involved in as well. They absolutely can. And some people are turned off from volunteering because they're like, well, I don't have time to go get stamps or to go to the post office. Totally fine. One of the systems that we use for one of the prisons that's based in Florida is called JPay. And then one of the prisons in Ohio, I think it's called Entrust. Um, and so what, what I'm communicating is that, you know, you don't have to think, oh, I have to handwrite a letter, stick it in the envelope, go get a stamp and drop it in the mail. If you want to do that, that's fine. Some people prefer the handwritten letter and we encourage them because it gives a human touch. Uh, But we have uh, prisons, a lot of prison systems, not just the ones that we write, have um, email systems where the emails are monitored. So you kind of log on, kind of like you log on to Google and check your email. Um, One of the systems that we use frequently is called JPay. And when you log on JPay, it's free to make an account and you, the prisoners are able to email you a letter and then um, you can send them little postcards and little things. And then you can write your letter, your response back. And then it goes to them. So you never have to leave the comfort of your home. All they see on their end about you is your name. And as I stated, you know, we use pseudo names. So you don't have to worry about your identity, you know, being hacked or people learning more about you than what you actually want them to know if you're, you know, concerned for your safety. So yes, that's absolutely a way to do it. And that's the way that we are able to win people because they're like, oh, I check my email every day. And I'm like, exactly. So it's very easy to just log on, you know, give a few words of hope and encouragement and then log back off and that's it, you know? So if that is something you're interested in, that is one of the systems we use for our Florida-based prisons. And that's why we are able to get a lot of writers to that system. Great. So we'll have the links for that, for, for your ministry and um, how to get signed up and all of that will be at the end of the show and also in the show notes, but you know, this is soul grit. So we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about mental health. So, um, Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about what you see in these last uh, nine years since you've been doing this? Like, what are you seeing um, in terms of the mental health um, concerns that come out of these letters? I have seen a lot of trauma. I have seen a lot of bitter rage, a lot of unforgiveness. And so not just unforgiveness about the system, but I think a lot of identity issues with, okay, I made a, I made a bad decision um, and it's landed me in this position and I'm bitter about the decision I made because I'm here and I can see that there were a lot of factors that went into me making that decision. Now, let me say this. 
a lot of the prisoners do not tell us why they're in. Some of them start off, you know, mm-hmm. off first letter telling us everything because some people are just like that. But for the most part, in all of my time, I can probably count on one hand. I mean, we're talking about almost a thousand letters to prisons and I can count on one hand how many prisoners had divulged that information. Yeah. But I think that is because we are speaking to their soul and they don't want to deal with the ache of their their part in whatever part of the situation they believe would happen in getting them convicted and in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to speak directly to that need. And I think it helps us not to probe for that for for a couple of reasons. First, so that we're not judgmental, right? Like we want to stay seeing them as Christ sees them and loving the way that Christ loves them. And sometimes it's easier not to deal with that, but then also because it allows them to see themselves outside of that. Like mm-hmm. we want them to see themselves as a human. So we always referring to Mr. So-and-so, like one of our favorites, Mr. Jose, everybody in the ministry knows Mr. Jose. He's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were a person with an identity, with a gift and a purpose and dreams and a vision. And so we want to speak to that human nature because as we're relating this to mental health and the soul, a lot of the dehumanization that takes place in the environment makes them forget, first of all, that they're even human and second, that God loves them. So we try to speak to that uh, need, you know, more than what was wrong. Like we want to get you on the path doing what God wants you to do and what's right. So I see a lot of that. I see a lot of, um, a lot of avoidance and I won't say lack of accountability, but they, they want to connect with the outside world and they want to avoid the environment that they're in. So when the letters that I get, when they are discussing what's going on around them and the environment and uh, the treatment and the conditions, I mean, those letters are lengthy, okay, because there's so much to unpack. And it's sometimes hard to respond to because you're like, man, I can't believe that this is actually happening. So um Lots of human rights issues as it relates to mental health. And one thing I can say is I have not, maybe two people that I recall have received um, mental health assistance since mm-hmm. their time. Again, we're talking about thousands of letters gone into two prison. people. I can think of two people wow. who have received um, mental health assistance. And that is this is insane. It's astronomically incorrect. Most mm-hmm. of the people that we write, <laughs> they need an anti-therapy in their life, in their <laughs> life. You know, they need that help. And I think a lot of what they need is therapy. They need, you know, psychological evaluations. I don't think that a lot of it is a behavioral issue. Mm-hmm. It is a soul issue. Mm-hmm. And even if it's uh, maybe comes out of their circumstances, poverty or um, violence in their home, what, whatever it might be like there, there's still that need for the relational kind of counseling. Like, like they need those skills to make their relationship successful in the future, because that's, if they get out and they don't know how to do that, then that's just going to wind them back in. Right. Exactly. And that is why our incarceration numbers, I think right now I was reading this earlier today that there are uh, 4.4 million people that are still under county control, meaning they have probation or um, some sort of house arrest or sort of connection to the system, even though they're out with another 10.4 million people incarcerated. 
like we have an issue and we're not getting to the, I'm reminded of one story. There was a prisoner that we write. Um, He's been, he's been with us for about two and a half years now. And we got down to the root of his story. He told us that he uh, was in jail for a felony charge of a robbery. And he told us that he was, in a, he grew up, so let's, you know, go through his life. He said he grew up in the foster care system. He bounced from home to home. And the lady that kept him the most was a truck driver. Truck driver. She gave him and his sibling, which he was younger than, um, a snicker bar to last them for a week. No food in the house, um, you know, no care. So he had to rob in order to eat. And the life of robbing, stealing, and taking to meet basic necessities became a lifestyle. So as he aged out of the foster system, no care, no skills, you know, little to no education, because again, he had foster parents that were absent, didn't care, robbing and stealing to meet basic needs became a way of life. So we could look at this person and say, well, you should know better. You grew up. Well, he didn't actually. He grew up as stealing and taking as a way of life, you know, Mm -hmm. running, ducking and dodging and finally got caught to a place where, you know, he began to depend on that because you got to look at, as you mentioned, poverty as a whole, like, and the soul as a whole, there's no education because you barely went to school. So there's no skill set to, to, to get money to provide for basic needs. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it is a colossal system that causes everything about that person's life to fail. Mm -hmm. And, I just hate it. I hate it because now this particular person is in a corrective facility that's not doing any correcting and their soul is still broken from the abandoned issues Mm -hmm. of being a little child. That little boy is still crying out in that cell because his maternal needs were never met and his basic needs were never really met either Mm -hmm. for being truthful. So, I mean, I think that once we get down to seeing people for people, we do realize that there's soul issues here and we need to be praying and we need to be serving so that we can see some transformation in those areas. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's maybe a good transition. Like we know that there's mental health issues that are not being addressed in the prison system, but then it's probably I'm going to say probably with 100% certainty that it's easier for a ministry to come in and say, I'll provide a Bible study and I'll pray with you than for a therapist to come in and say, I will provide free therapy for you. (laughs) You know, like you you can't do that. Um, But you uh, are meeting some of those needs because like you said, it's the whole soul. It's um, like Jesus cares about our body, our mind, our spirit, our heart, that's our whole soul, our, our livelihood, our families, our relationships, that's all within God's purview. Right. And so we, um, when you're meeting some of these emotional and spiritual needs, you are addressing some of these concerns, correct? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us any, is there hope? Is there any kind of hopeful situations, victories that you've seen from this well, starting, starting with the story I shared earlier about my aunt, I mean, yeah. to serve her in the capacity of making sure that, you know, every time I responded that I'm, I'm writing a prayer. So that actually was a, the blueprint, the format of the message, uh, I'm sorry, of the ministry, because I, mm-hmm. every time I wrote her, I shared a minimum of five scriptures. I didn't assume that she had a Bible. She told me that she was able to get a one-to-one chaplain 
a care. And that was one of the people I was referring to that got the mental assistance that she needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But every single letter, I made sure I did not send a letter in that didn't have a minimum of five scriptures and that also didn't have a prayer written out for her so that she could read it, she could say it. And so I, and and then I, I wanted her to be able to read it for herself and just, you know, not assuming that she knew how to pray or what to pray. And I think that basic premise goes into every uh, Bible study that they get. And and I try to encourage our writers to always include a scripture and not assuming that, you know, prisoners have Bibles. So that would be the first glimmer of hope. That is the hope that I ran forward full swing with saying, I can do this and let me try it. And here we are today. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think it's an uphill battle. Sometimes it does get very discouraging, especially when the prisoners are sharing with you some of their experiences like, oh my gosh, the the letters that I did and didn't get because of COVID and what they went through as far mm-hmm. as um, dealing with the systems on the inside, getting, you know, just, it was, it was heavy. Um, and so I think it's one of those things that you have to patient yourself with to know that you're not only fighting a spiritual war, but you're also fighting a systemic battle. Mm-hmm. And so both kind of have to go hand in hand. And I think the hope that we have is knowing that God called us to this population. Mm-hmm. The scripture always says like, Lord, when did, when were you hungry? And I saw you and I fed you. When were you naked and I clothed you? When were you in prison? And I went to visit you. One of the scriptures that we base our ministry on is visiting those that are bound, like you yourself could be bound, you know, always keeping in mind that, you know, they were one decision away from a very different life. And we are too. Mm-hmm. One bad day, one horrible decision. And that could be us on the other end of needing someone to write us or to encourage us. So that is the hope that we carry. Um, and that is one thing that our, again, our mission, life, hope, salvation, and prayers, because we want to see people move through regaining an ideology around like that their life is worthy and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ so that they find salvation and knowing that we can pray for them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a deep breath kind of heavy, like, yes, it's heavy. Yes, it's a lot. Yes, sometimes it feels like, you know, you're not changing it or you're not doing something different. But like you, you know, when you sit before your clients, you're you're focused on them. And when you're changing them, I firmly believe that you're changing the world. And so that's how I believe every letter goes to prisons, every Bible study, like every prisoner, every inmate that's reading this, whether they have a life sentence, like they're on death row, because we've had death row inmates as well, or they're short term. We try to not write people that are less than three months in. But whether they're three months in all the way to death row, um, we want this letter to change their life. And we set our hope on that letter because we know that, you know, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And we may not always see the increase. There are people who have, I like to say graduated because they Mm -hmm. they out of prison and we never hear from them again. But we know that while they were in the state that we sowed the seeds of life and hope and that. Mm the Lord can now cultivate their heart and do the work that he needs to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, there is hope. You just have to look for it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm really hoping that there will be some people that want to get involved and um, just address some of those heart needs that people have. Um, because like you said, they, they need to be reminded that they are people and they are loved by God. And um yeah, that's good. I said this in my last interview too, with, uh, um, Gary who works in the County jails. And I, I think, uh, the, 
the process of going to jail or just getting arrested and then getting convicted and then going to jail or prison, whichever it may be, that in itself is a major life trauma. And then I'm sure what you're saying from the letters that you receive is that they encounter trauma after trauma after trauma while they're there mm-hmm. um, after a lifetime of trauma that got them there. And so I really want to pray healing into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about it as you were speaking. I was actually writing this morning about mm-hmm. the process of arrest to litigation, to incarceration, to reentry, because the reentry rates are astronomical in our, in our society. And so we have to say, okay, at what point are we getting it wrong? And right now I'm really focused on um, prison profiteering. If you guys don't know what that means, what happened was um, a couple of years ago, uh, basically the federal systems outsourced some of their overcrowding issues to private prisons. And now there's a billion dollar industry for people who can buy stocks and buy out prisons to profit off of crime. Mm-hmm. What this creates is, is a hyper hyper vigilance and more um, focus on crime and more focus on honestly taking advantage of those who are impoverished because they don't have the financial means to navigate the, uh, the system of arrest uh, litigation, incarceration, and then avoiding reentry. They're already, as, as she mentioned, you know, experiencing such hardships that they can't even handle more financial strain and struggle without turning to crime of some degree. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about how we can interject and in this process that's already happening, like what can we do? I think one of the best things is starting where you are. Now, I typically work with those who are already incarcerated. So they've already went through the process of making a decision or getting involved in the situation to some degree. They've already been through the trauma of arrest. They've already been through the trauma of litigation, whether they were able to afford a lawyer or a court-appointed lawyer They've been through trial and sentencing, and now they are serving their time. I like to intervene in this time because I believe that there's a lot of transformation that can happen. What, again, whether they are um, short-term offender or death row inmate, you know, I believe that God can work in the midst of that trauma. I remember my aunt telling me that, you know, it was always cold. The floors were always hard. She, she, she was very vivid in describing the awful smell, um, the night terrors, how there was constant screaming day in and day out, fights day in and day out, corrupt officials, and all of these things kind of overpowering her. And that is what, you know, made her actually want to go to solitary confinement, which is another battle in and all of itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like she said, I think that my heart is to pray for them in this position because some, most offenders are going to come back into our communities. And that's what I think propels a lot of people to want to write, right? Because they're like, well, wait, you know, most of them are going to get out at some point and we want them to come out healthy and whole, but it's hard to do when the environment is not necessarily conducive, but that's where you can come in because you can change the trajectory of what they're experiencing. Because my Bible tells me mm-hmm. that no matter where I make my bed, that the Lord is with me. Mm-hmm. So even in the unimaginable sense of the inhumane conditions, I still trust that God is with them, that, that he is experiencing their presence and that he is when they are experiencing his presence and that he is transforming them from the inside out, because no matter where they are, the Lord works inside, you know? Mm -hmm. So that is, that is another part of our hope and Mm -hmm. what we've gotten to see. I'm reminded as we're talking, I'm just reminded of all these stories because we've been doing this for so long. One of the people that we 
write two of the two of the men that we write from the prison that have been transferred from one of the Florida institutions. They lead a daily Bible study that we help assist. And I'm like, can you imagine giving the word of God daily? But you got time, right? Yeah. Captive <laughs> so, audience, um, literally. <laughs> literally, right? So um, we're pouring into that ministry. And so that's been an interesting thing, allowing, seeing Prince of Prison, allowing us to encourage them so that then they can go and be a light in the dark place, kind of a boots on the ground, connecting the way. Because, you know, the prisoners around them see their transformation. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying, well, what's different about you? Yeah. And that is where the light of Christ, you know, and the glory of God is able to shine even in a dark place. Another prisoner, um, Mr. Clark, love him. He is now a mentor. He's one of those guys that didn't have any guidance, um, no parents in the home, just a loss to the streets, to gang violence and drugs. And now he's one of the main mentors that's helping lead the program from the inside that we've been writing for three years. So again, it's a it's a long reward, but the reward is rewarding. And we're getting to see the Lord do a mighty transformating transformation and work in the people simply by writing a letter. So it's a small sacrifice for such a big dividend in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And I bet those people like Mr. Clark are the two that are leading the Bible studies. Like they didn't know they're going there to be missionaries, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I um I did have one prisoner tell me actually the other day, he said, he said, I believe the Lord wrote my story before I was ever born. And this is a part of that journey. And to me, that is such a perspective because we take that perspective. We say, well, you know, God, I made a mistake. God, I messed up. But all things are working together for my good because God loves me and I'm called according to his purpose. So then to take that perspective, like, you know, I messed up. I didn't obey the laws of the land. I landed in this position, but God is still going to work it out for my good. And I'm still going to shine my light and give God glory in the midst of this place. I think a lot of times we are so unforgiving in our society to inmates. Like, you know, they committed that crime 10 years ago. Are they still a criminal? You know, even though they're serving the time, like, I think, I think we, as people have to reshape our mind around how we see other people in this in in those states of life so it's it's a beautiful ministry like I said it's definitely for one who has endurance though (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you do Jennifer (laughs) I've been trying I've been running this race Paul encourages me daily (laughs) well uh, let me ask you this um just a little bit of change of topic you are an author and you have several titles available um, do you want to share anything you're excited about writing lately? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you guys have heard me mention my aunt who was uh, pivotal and, and I guess, putting me on this journey to prison ministry. And so the letter, the, the name of that book is called Letters to Inmate number 127039. Um, it is literally the story. It's, it's a compilation of our letters from mm-hmm. her time in. And then it also has... Um, a space in the back for different prayers about specific topics and and an area where prisoners can write their own prayers. So we get that book directly to prisoners. So that is one that we always send in, but you can read it and enjoy and sow to other people as well. It is on the website. Um, She said that would be in the show notes. Um, Two other books that I'm working on right now. Well, one that I just recently published is called The Power of the Secret Place, How to Cultivate an Intimate Prayer Life. 
because you don't get to do the hard and heavy work and have a shallow prayer life. You will mm-hmm. falter, you will quit. And I'm not speaking negatively to you specically. I just know that we're human. And we no, are you are human. Jennifer. I saw that on your website. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I'm actually working on a workbook for that because so many people yeah. have told me that, you know, they need more. And so I did a teaching series on that and it's just been a phenomenal time in God. And so Um, I love prayer. I believe in prayer. If there's anything that people that I want people to know about me, I want them to say that she loves Jesus and she's going to pray. So, um, that is a book that is dear, near and dear to my heart. And so that is the, one of the latest releases. And so, um, I mentioned this, uh, the other day on another podcast, but I stated that I'm working on a book about foundation. Okay. Mm -hmm. We've got to have healthy foundations. As I mentioned with the story of the guy, um, who had a horrible upbringing that led him to a life of crime. Um, he didn't have a sturdy foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I would imagine that you probably already have a degree of stability in your foundation. There's almost even an elitism that goes on in the podcast world that we have a position of privilege that we can listen to content from wherever we are and whatever we're doing. I mean, think about all the things that have to go into place for you to be able to participate in this moment. I mean, we are so blessed and that is not a put down, but that's just an awareness that everybody in the world is not as blessed as we are to be able to share on these platforms, to create the content and then also to consume it. So um, that is something that I think that we should continue to keep in mind, you know, and as it relates to our foundations, because even if, even if we are blessed and, you know, as a therapist, not me, she can tell you, (laughs) (laughs) even being blessed, sometimes we have cracks in our foundation. So I'm working on a book right now. Um, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot and release a date, but just stay updated. Um, because that book will be out sooner than later. The Lord is definitely dealing with me about having a sure and stable foundation in him. So yes, love writing. And just for listeners to kind of follow up with both of us, when Jennifer had me on her podcast, and I don't even know what the release date of that is, but you'll find that on her um, podcast, the wise women podcast, we did talk about foundation and, um, you know, your question was, do you have any tips for like spiritual health? And I said, well, this is going to sound super basic, but you have to have the foundation. And if you've um, listen to soul grit or read the blog or anything like that, you know, that I believe there's like five foundational things that you have to have in place before you can work on your mental health, which is your sleep, your exercise, your eating, your social supports and your spiritual life. And so that, that was my, that's my tip. It's super basic, but like, as Jennifer saying, like, you have to have that foundation to build upon. So, um, I'm excited for that book coming out. <laughs> I will definitely be buying the prayer life one as well. Are those available on Amazon or on your website or how do we get They're available on, um, on Amazon. I'm sorry, on my website. Um, I I used to use Amazon and then, you know, I was just like, you know, I'll just give it directly. So it's, it's on my website. Okay. That that makes it simple for everybody. Yeah. Jenniferbrienne.com. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then could you also give us the website for the prison letters ministry? 
Sure. So go to that same website and there's going to be in the about section, there's going to be a, a, a tab that says about pins to prison. And on there, you can see, you know, updated statistics around how many letters we have and that information. And there's a little form at the bottom if you're interested in writing that you can do that. And of course, if, you know, you have trouble doing any of that, just shoot me a message directly on any of my socials or anywhere and we'll get you connected so that you can sign that form and get started serving. Okay. And you guys can look for all of those links in the show notes. So I'm just going to wrap us up here, Jennifer. I ask all my guests, what are you doing for soul care? What am I doing for soul care? So right now I have this, um, I'm going to call it a tracker. I don't have a name for it, Mm -hmm. but uh, in January, I said, I want to make sure that I am doing these things every day, that I'm working out, I'm worshiping, I'm praying, confessing, I'm studying, and I'm writing. And so I have this little table. I'll actually show her, but you guys, uh, of course you can't see it, but she can help you help me describe it. It's this cute little tracker that has the the day of the month Mm -hmm. and then it has these five areas. And when I do them, I just check them off. So I keep copies of these so that I can keep in mind um, and be accountable to making sure that I've taken care of my spirit, that I have a time of reflection because that that's included in my workout, that I'm building myself up with my most holy faith because life can get busy. It can get hectic. It's easy to go throughout the day and, you know, taking care of your family, taking care of your kids, doing your job and letting those things slip. And I did not want this year to go by without every day intentionally doing those things. So that just keeps me accountable. That's one thing I'm doing for soul care. The next thing I'm doing for soul care is I am watching what I eat. I, um, I want to lose weight, even though it's not like, you know, I have a pound goal in mind per se, but I just want to be overall healthier. So I try to limit my sugars. I put a limit on the fruit snacks. I, only, <laughs> I love fruit snacks. It's Got I have little ones. Kids. Yes. It's because I have young kids. So we have to have them in the house. It's so tempting. So I, I put a limit on the fruit snacks and in place of the fruit snacks, I'm doing more fruit smoothies. So more actual fruit as opposed to fruit snacks. So those are the two things that I'm focused on right now. Hopefully those tips help. Um, if you have some sugar cravings or like me, just gotta stay away from those fruit snacks. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I could pretty much care less about any fruity candy, but when it's chocolate, I have a hard time or peanut butter, have a hard time saying no. (laughs) And see, chocolate is easier because I can keep that out of the house. And Mm -hmm. I, I were with you, like, I love a good chocolate chip cookie from Starbucks specifically get it warm. Yes. So I haven't even tried it. Don't tell me about that. But yeah, I'm with you about chocolate, but my son loves chocolate. So it's our treat, you know, we've been doing good or had a good week. So we kind of go out to get chocolate, but I don't leave that in the house. But for the lunch every day, you know, stick some fruit snacks in and yeah. then grab a bag and, you know, just that mindless eating. So yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, that, uh, tracker that you showed me, um, just to describe it to listeners, it's just, just a a grid, right? You probably made it like Mm -hmm. in a word document, something like that, Mm -hmm. um, with a box for each of those categories for each day of the month. And, um, in, in one of the fitness ministries that I'm involved in, we call that a consistency tracker. And there's actually, if you um, Google it or Pinterest it or whatever, you can find some really creative designs for things that you want to be consistent with where you get to color things in and it's cute and all of that. But yours is like very like straightforward, 
check off the box, you know, super basic. So, Did yeah. you do it? Yes or yep. no? <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and then it's also, um, and I will tell you guys how it's worked for me for this past couple of months, you know, as the day goes on, I can check to see where I am. You know, mm-hmm. did I do it? Have I done it? At the end of the day, I can check it and say, okay, well, why is it? Like I found that uh, month two, I was struggling for a week there to make sure that I worship every day. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, what's the deeper soul issue? Why am I struggling to worship the God that I love so much? Mm-hmm. Why does this feel like a burden or like it's something that I'm missing in my walk with Christ? And so you really actually get a chance to explore your habits and explore mm-hmm. the reason why you are where you are. And so that was, you know, phenomenally um, important to my spiritual growth and to my soul care, because a part of that worship was not so much as telling God, not just telling God, like, hey, I love you, I adore you, but also getting to pour out some things that are in my day or that were in my way at that time. So um, would you mind really quick? Tell tell us, like, how do you worship every day? Does that mean like putting on music or is that going for a walk or how do you worship? You know, it's two separate ways for me because I'm such a writer. It does mean uh, putting on some music, um, having a solid moment with God where I'm not checking my phone. I'm not checking emails. I'm not taking any of those. Everything's on Do Not Disturb. And it's me and Holy Spirit. And so uh, the Lord in this time, another story, short one, (laughs) the Lord showed me in this time that I was struggling to worship because I was trying to worship like other people. I thought that it meant, you know, raising my hands and singing and I hate my singing voice. Mm. And so the Lord showed me how he wanted me to worship him. It wasn't with my song, it was with my words because that is the gift that he's given me. So giving God that adoration with my words. So affirmations and confessions of God's nature and who he is and his power and speaking of his glory became so much more natural for me. So those two ways are putting the worship music on and you know, blaring it loud so I don't have to hear my voice, but then also (laughs) turning it off and getting in a solemn place with God in my secret place and confessing the glory of God. And I just felt so much more of his presence and so much more of his power, so much more of a transformation in myself and even in the environment in my home. So that's amazing. Cause I was kind of thinking that like, I don't know very many people who actually make it a goal to worship every day. They might have a quiet time. They might pray every day, read their Bible every day, but I don't know very many people who say I have to worship every day. Yes. And I had the feeling when you're saying that it's not going to be what I, what, what people have in their mind of like, I have to sing and play the piano and raise my hand or whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be something that's unique to you. And that's why I asked like, is it music or maybe it's like being out in nature and like the Declaring the wonders of God while you're looking at, like, I have this really beautiful blossoming tree outside my window right here. Yeah, so any of those things can be worship. And I like that you said God told you specifically how he wants you to worship him. Absolutely. And that doesn't, and you're right. You know, um, when the weather was nicer, you know, I would take those spring walks because right to the right of our house, when we walk out of the driveway, there's a mountain. And so I can always look to the hills from which come with my help. And I can always declare his glory and see physical manifestations of God's power, like right outside of my neighborhood. And so like, it is, you know, walking through the neighborhood or even walking in the grocery store, people thinking I'm crazy, but I'm not caring because I'm like, God, you're just so good. And your mercies endure forever. And your truth stands always. And before I know what I have declare God's glory and encourage somebody just by allowing them to hear me. That actually happened the other day when I dropped my daughter off of school. <laughs> 
Um, I wasn't feeling holier than thou or anything, but I had my pray shirt on. I had taken my mask off and I was declaring over the day and speaking about God's goodness to the day for what was ahead. And she was like, yes, amen. I, I was like, I was kind of ashamed because I, I didn't realize that, you know, anybody was paying me any attention. But again, yeah, you're right. It, it was a very unique experience. Like I said, the tracker allowed me to see that this was something that was missing from my spiritual walk. And then once I put it in consistently, I was able to see the flourishing of my soul. So um, thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, that is awesome. Thanks for sharing all those things. And I I get what that lady was feeling when she heard, overheard you rejoicing because I was just at uh, Chick-fil-A this week with my daughter having lunch and there was a table right behind us. And the guy was like talking about the kingdom of God. And he was telling his wife all the things that he had in his vision for the kingdom of God. And I just wanted to turn around and say, amen, brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, don't be the weirdo <laughs> in the Chick-fil-A. Right. But it, it is encouraging. So, so distracting too. Sometimes I do my prog- progress notes for my cases at Starbucks because I work faster there. And, <laughs> and so sometimes all over here, a lot of people meet at coffee shops for Bible studies and church meetings and things like that. And sometimes I'll be overhearing somebody at a different table and I'll be like, I want to come and pray with you people. <laughs> you absolutely should. You absolutely I know I'm should. that weirdo. <laughs> I don't think it's weird. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. I mean, they might be like, okay, but I'm just going to walk know. by and give them a high five, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that giving them an amen from across the room. Yeah. Um, but (laughs) so funny. Um, okay. Well, it's been really fun talking to you, Jennifer and everybody that's listening. Remember you can check the show notes for, um, some of the links that we mentioned today, as well as, uh, Jennifer's podcast, which, um, I'll try to see if we can highlight that episode, um, when that comes out where you can hear where we talked about mental health and foundation in, um, Jennifer talked a little bit more about that upcoming book. So, Um, make sure you check that out and thanks for being here today. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.